Bad calls, dirty slashing, we expect a little bull on the ice. But you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages. Looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated, we call bullship. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Right point favor. Takes a look, got the shot, score! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. To the point to handle it, feeds it across. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare that the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, and just happens to be my favorite flavor, Natural Mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. All right, I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the King's Men. hope everybody that celebrated had a very Merry Christmas, and I hope you're all ready to continue celebrating six Kings prospects as they compete in the World Junior Championship. We couldn't watch any Kings games this week, but we did get a chance to talk to Chris Peters, and he joins us now. All right, well, it is that time of year, not Christmas, but World Junior Championships. Well, both, I suppose. Uh, it's no <laughs> coincidence. And here to tell us all about it, Chris Peters. How are you doing today, Chris? Jesse, I'm doing great. It's great to be back with you. Always a pleasure to uh, to join you. And certainly my favorite time of the year because <laughs> it is Christmas. And then you wash that down with the World Juniors. And then you also mix in New Year's. I mean, it's it's like so many celebrations in one. Yeah, well, and my little sister's getting married New Year's Eve, so... Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it's exponentially celebratory for me this year. Yeah, all right. Um, we usually hold this till the end of an episode, but on this particular case, I want to get it right out of the way first. If people want to follow your work, if people want to read you, and they absolutely should, um, you do an excellent job, comprehensive coverage of prospects all around the world, and not just prospects, but hockey in general. Where can they find you? How should they, how should they uh, consume your work? Well, thank you for the opportunity to uh, to shamelessly plug things. Um, I there are a couple different places, for, particularly for the World Juniors. I'll keep it to that, but um, there are a couple places that you can find my work. I have my own Substack called Hockey Sense with Chris Peters. It's HockeySense.Substack.com. There will be very very regular coverage uh, of Team USA in particular on Hockey Sense, and then also on DailyFaceOff.com. I'm going to be doing uh, regular coverage every single day. I think of uh, of the tournament. So that's not just USA, that's Canada. That's, that's all the teams, um, where, you know, we'll be talking about everybody. So if you're, you know, a Kings fan, we'll certainly be talking about Martin Kromiak and we're going to be talking about all the other, other players that are in, in the Kirill Kursanov and who else, uh, you know, but that's, that's what, what I'll be doing. So hockey sense for, um, a lot of really in-depth stuff that won't just be team USA, but it'll be primarily team USA focused daily face off for the very general stuff. It's also not behind a paywall. So there's that that added bonus as well. 
Um, and then I also have my podcast, Talking Hockey Sense, where there's a huge 90-minute uh, preview of the World Juniors right now with me and Corey Pronman uh, that I think people will find informative, interesting, and hopefully entertaining. Uh, maybe not in that order, but uh, we, we will find out. So uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, there's a lot of different places to get my work right now. Um, and if you can find it, uh, please consume it. Thank you very much. Well, there's no Kings hockey, <laughs> at least for the short term. So uh, right. I would encourage people, if you want to know about uh, all of those things, do check it out. So, Chris, um, the Kings have six players going to the WJC. We're going to start with a seventh player, though. Um, we don't need to spend too much time on it, but I was curious, and I asked you before we started recording, and you shared information that I did not know, so I'll ask you to share it with everybody listening. Um, there was a lot of eyebrows raised when Brant Clark was not included uh, on Team Canada. Um, if you could just go ahead and uh, repeat what you said to me before we started recording about potential reasons that may be sure yeah like i you know i don't think it was you know some great conspiracy or anything like that i mean i know that there have been a lot of different theories floating around about it i think um i i will say that i was personally surprised that he was not invited to the camp because the camp is the big extended roster you have all those different opportunities of guys that you can bring um but i think that canada doesn't basically they don't waste spots on guys that they don't think are going to be part of their team. And I think that they generally genuinely felt that Brant maybe not have been ready for this opportunity. And part of that stems from the world under 18 championships. And I, you know, I, was, I actually talk about this with Corey on my, on my podcast this week is essentially Olin Zellweger, who was a second round draft pick um, in the same draft uh, was end up kind of assuming the number one power play role for Canada at the world under 18s. He started playing more and more key situations in the tougher games and, and Brant faded a little bit down the stretch. And so I think that that was part of the reason rationale because that was the most visible, you know, him in the hockey Canada setting, um, you know, where, where, where they were able to kind of evaluate him. And I think there are some concerns about his defensive play and things of that nature, but it's not, you know, just because he's not on the team this year doesn't mean he's he's not a great prospect. I think he is. He is. He's an exceptional offensive player. He does need to improve areas of skating and defensive play. I think that those were enough. Those concerns existed enough for Hockey Canada to not take those players. They also had a very strong focus on on having 19 year old defensemen. They do have two 18 year olds, including Zellweger, who did make the World Junior Team, and largely, you know on the positive performance that he had at the world under 18s and, and the chemistry that he developed with some of the players he'll play on the power play with on team Canada. Um, but, you know, basically, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a one-off thing. It's not, it's, this isn't a huge indictment of Brent Clark as a prospect. It's not a huge indictment of, you know, hockey Canada's pro, uh, selection process. I think he should have probably been in camp so they could at least have gotten a look, but I think they knew all they needed to know and they moved on. Um, you can argue whether that's right or wrong. We're going to find out when the games pl are played. Uh, they have all left shot defensemen on Canada's roster, but it's not quite like Russia where every single player is a left shot player. So, you know, like it's, it's, uh, it, it's unique for sure. But um, as I said, I, I really think that he's still a good prospect with a lot of upside and a great future. And I'm sure he'll be on Canada's next, uh, next year. It's a, it's a poor analogy, um, which I'm fond of, uh, but it, it reminds me a bit of the moment in Miracle where they're about to head off to the Olympics and Herb Brooks brings in, I forget the name of the player, but that very, very good player that he didn't include. Yeah, Ralph Cox. Ralph Cox. Well, yeah. Cox gets cut, didn't he? I'm talking about the guy. Oh, oh sure. I'm sorry. 
yeah the the guy i can't like i said i can't remember his name but he's a collegiate player he's you know better than a ton of the guys on the team but for whatever reason he just wasn't there all oh, right 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 and, yeah, and Harry, have, yeah. yeah and they have that <laughs> moment where they confront him outside of the bus and they go you know he's not part of us we're a family or whatever and and you realize like <laughs> It's a very small group of players and an even smaller group of people that get to choose which players are on it. And there certainly shouldn't be any belief that just because that small group of people thinks that, a, you know, that a smaller group of people are the team or aren't the team, it, it whatever. And, and as yeah, you said, I get what you're, yeah, I get what you're saying. And, and I think too, like it, it is, it is so hard to build teams for this, even though Canada has the easiest time because they have the best players and the most players. Um, it's really hard to build a team and you're not just looking to build the most skilled team or the, you know, you need guys for certain roles. And I think with Owen power, with Caden Gooley, with, um, with other players, uh, Lucas Cormier, guys that are older, they were going to play the roles that you would foresee Brant Clark playing. And, and so they're what he's not a guy that you want to be your eighth or seventh defenseman. You want him to be in your top four. And I think those, those spots were spoken for mostly by older players. So yeah, it's it's hard to do. The teams are hard to put together, and and they're looking for certain things. And in this particular instance, I guess there there wasn't a fit there. And um, you know, the best way for Brant Clark to uh, to bounce back is to shove it in their faces with a great performance at the OHL. And uh, you know, it, it, the best revenge might be making the NHL roster next year and not there being available go. for the World Juniors. No, exactly. <laughs> um, it's almost it's almost as if they're not looking for the best players; they're looking for the right players. The torture, right. my, my miracle. Exactly. Yeah, and and you can do that to you know that that is true, but you can also overthink it and do it to your detriment sure. at times as well, as we've seen in countless other instances. So um, you do want to try to make you know the best players for the right, the right fits, the right time. There's, I mean, so many different cliches that you can throw in there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to build these teams. Yeah. And you know, Canada has the added advantage of, you know, whether, whether they're quote unquote right or wrong is determined by whether or not they win. And they have a ton of other very, very good players that'll absolutely help, help cover their tracks. If, even if they were in a weird sense, wrong. Anyway, we're going to move on to players that are playing in the WJCs and we're going to start with team USA. Cause well, because we're all American. We're American, um, yeah, of course. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so Brock Faber was recently discovered will wear uh, an A on his jersey during the tournament. And last year, if I remember correctly, I think he was one of the sort of, I don't want to say breakout stars, but surprise risers during the tournament. So uh, what do we know about Brock Faber and Team USA? Yeah, I'd say that's an exactly right in terms of how he progressed over the course of the tournament. He became an indispensable player for Team USA by the end. And when they had such a great defensive performance against Canada, Brock Faber was getting more minutes. He just continued to get more ice time as the tournament wore on. The coaches became more familiar with him and and, and used him more. And this time around, Jake Sanderson's the number one defenseman on this team. Brock Faber's number two. And that's a really, the fact that you've got those two guys, as you're one and two, they're not going to play a lot together because they want to keep them separate for balance. So there's a good chance that in those games against Russia, Sweden, you know, if they play Canada, one of Jake Sanderson or Brock Faber is going to be on the ice almost the entire game. That's the way they want to have it set up because they trust those guys so much to be those players that that are are essentially the they're, they're both elite defenders. They are both outstanding um, skaters. And so you've got those kind of elements at play. They're also highly, highly intelligent players. And I think Sanderson gives you a little more offense. 
Faber gives you enough offense. He doesn't, he's not just a defense first, can't do anything with the puck guy. That's not at all the case. He actually moves the puck quite well. Um, the fact that he's wearing a letter, the fact that he's a returning player, the fact that the coaching staff just has the utmost faith in him to play the role that they want him to play, which will likely include penalty kill as well. He is quite simply one of, you know, the three or four most important players for Team USA in this tournament. Um, and they they want to play a certain way. He is the kind of guy that can help them play it. They want to be an attacking team. They want to defend well. They want to make sure that they're getting pucks up the ice quickly. All of those things he can help them with. Um, and, and I think that, you know, if you're, if you're a Kings fan and you're watching the rapid progression of Brock Faber over the last two years since his draft, um, you're seeing a player that is on the cusp of really opening things up and becoming a, a you know, a, a very high-end NHL prospect. Do you know anything about um, how captains and alternate captains are chosen? Like, like how much, obviously it's a great sign. I'm just curious, you know, how great a sign, which is a silly question, but. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think the way that it works with, with Nate Lehman's teams is that the coaching staff is the one, you know, I've heard they've, they've done it multiple ways. They've done player votes. They've done Mm -hmm. all those things. But I think in this particular instance, the coaching staff, pick the team, their, their leadership group. And I think they knew pretty early on who that was going to be. Um, you know, Sanderson wearing the C, then they were going to have Beneers, Faber and Slagger as their alternate captains. And what it says to me is that, um, is that they have, they have a lot of good leaders on the team, but they have guys that play a certain way. Uh, that that's the other thing that you look at their captains and they play a certain way. They all, you know, Landon Slagger is an in your face, gritty guy. Matty Beneers is an, a high-end two-way player. Brock Faber and Jake Sanderson are high-end two-way players. So, you know, those are those guys kind of almost speak to the identity of the team. Um, and so I think in this particular instance, it says a lot. It says a lot. And I also think that the coaching staff, uh, this is the entire coaching staff from last year's team that won gold is back this year. So they have great familiarity with the returning players, but they also have this real feel that these are the guys that that we need to to you know share the message with the team to also get you know hold players accountable and things like that if you wear a letter on a national team it says a lot about you know your leadership qualities because half the battle is getting a team to gel and get together and have chemistry immediately it's got to happen right away that's been one of the major focuses of team usa so picking the captains that kind of fit into that mold and that are, are 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 the guys that can you know get everybody to buy in. It, I mean, it means a lot, especially in these short tournaments, because those leaders are going to be leaned on so heavily. So let's go from a right shot defenseman taken in the second round uh, from the U.S. to a left shot defenseman taken in the third round from Russia, Kirill Kirsanov or Kirsanov. How are Kirsanov? I believe. Kirsanov. Yeah. All right. Um, he he's a player who I confess I had never heard of before the Kings drafted him. And what two weeks after they drafted him, I was convinced that he was going to be a a mainstay on the Kings blue line for 10 years. Um, I understand that he'll probably play a, a fairly large role for team Russia. Huge role, huge role. I mean, he's a returning player. Um, I think last year at the world juniors, he really sold me on being a guy that I was going to have pretty high in my rankings. I think I had him listed as a, uh, a second round prospect um, in my personal rankings. And he didn't have an incredible amount of points last year, but he was, you know, essentially an 18 year old 
playing major minutes for one of the best teams in Russia, you know, in the KHL. He was playing significant minutes. And this year, he's already playing, um, you know, he's had several games where he's had over 20 minutes a game for for SKA or, or SKA. Um, and so, you know, I think that the the fact that he is so mature defensively, he has a good skater. He does have decent offensive tools, even though he's not a guy that's necessarily going to drive play offensively. Um, you know, I fully expect him to play upwards of 20 to 22 minutes a game for for Russia. Um, their head coach is Sergei Zubov, who, of course, is a Hall of Fame defenseman um, and, and, you know, one of the great Russian players to ever play in the NHL. Um, he's obviously going to know exactly how he needs to deploy his decor. I think that between... Uh, Kursanov and uh, Shahir Mukhamadulin, those are the guys that are are going to be um, really leaned on heavily by Zubov, especially as returning players. I mean, he had a really nice tournament last year, and, and I think that Russia's going to be successful if players like Kursanov and Mukhamadulin are are hugely impactful on the blue line. Now, Team Russia announced this morning, or I should say a Twitter account, Russian Prospects, announced this morning. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess Team Russia is going to have five alternate captains, um, and Kirsan- Kirsanov will be one of them. Yeah, I believe they're going to alternate on whatever jerseys they're, they're wearing. You can, I think you can only have two per game in yeah. a double IHF play. So, um, And it's going to be the same thing with USA. They named three alternates, so not every guy is going to be a, um, wear the letter on every game. Um, but you know, I do think that that's, that speaks to the maturity of his game, uh, in a lot of ways. Cause I mean, really that's been a huge difference for him is that he plays the game in such a mature way. He's got great mobility, you know, he can be physical, he's solid defensively. Um, but you know, there just aren't many guys at his age that play as much as he does at the KHL level. Um, and you know, he has been also sent down for periods of time to the U20 team, which is obviously not uncommon that happens to every good young player um, in Russia, even though they've established themselves on the pro team as he has. Um, but yeah, but I'm, I'm really excited to see kind of him in his own age group because it's an, it's an area where he can be a little bit more dominant. Uh, total aside, not related to anything, but um, when did alternate captains stop being assistant captains? I feel like when I was growing up, they were assistant captains and somewhere I, along the road, they shifted to alternate. Well, captains. I think it depends on who you are. I believe the technical term has always been alternate captains. And then it just became like colloquially uh, assistant captains. Huh. Um, Cause essentially the, when the captain is not on the ice, the alternate is the one who can be right. designated to speak with the official. Um, and I, always growing up all my coaches always called it alternate captain so i it also could be a regional thing too Hmm, so so i may be wrong but i I mean alternate alternate makes more sense because like you said if the captain's not on the ice then the alternate yeah he's not he's not assisting him in his no (laughs) no there's not like it's not it's not quite that hierarchical you know like it's it's just like if this guy's not available we got this guy over here so well, I guess, you know, I don't know. And now I'm trying to think, I'm trying to make a joke about Dwight Trout being the alternate to the <laughs> the assistant, the assistant to the alternate captain. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. All right. We're going to move on um, from, uh, from Russia and the States. Uh, I guess we'll go to Slovakia. Now I want to save um, Finland for last. Uh, so we'll go to Slovakia, Martin Kromiak, fifth round pick. And a guy that honestly, um, the only, or I don't want to say the only, but the biggest, um, 
thing for me for in in my awareness of Chromiak is that when he was drafted, there was there was shock that he was taken in the fifth round. Um, and I always found it sort of odd that a guy who lasted like shock that he went in the fifth as opposed to maybe the third, I think, right? It wasn't like right. he was a first rounder who fell around 200 slots or 150 slots or whatever. So um, where is Chromiak at his development and is Slovakia a threat to do anything in this tournament? You know, more, this is probably going to be the best Slovakian team at a world juniors in in a long long time i'm trying to think of some of the other teams that you know there have been times where goalies have stolen games slovakia has actually been a thorn in the side of the united states a few times um i remember being in the building when casey middlestat scored one of the greatest goals i've ever seen in person and slovakia then immediately scored and (laughs) took the lead away and that was the end of that and um you know there was this guy dennis godla who once uh beat us in a in a quarter i think ended up sending them to like relegation uh, that they played in the relegation round in 2012 because of Dennis Godla. I'm pretty sure. So, but anyway, to get back to the topic at hand and not to bring up bad memories of poor USA performances, um, you know, I think where, where Chromiak is now um, is right on track with, I think expectations for anybody that thought that he should be, you know, a third or second, third, fourth round draft pick. I, he's got 32 points in 23 games with Kingston. I think it's great that he's back in North America and playing, um, in junior hockey because, you know, he played last year in Slovakia. That's a tough pro league. He actually produced pretty well, especially for a U 20 player. Um, but you know, to get back here to North America and to play amongst his peers and to be, a go-to offensive performer like he was before um, in the year that he, that he joined the Kingston Frontenacs halfway through and had the opportunity to play with Shane Wright. Um, You know, he's, he's doing very well for the Slovakian team. He's a crucial player. Like, you you know, they have a lot of talent up front, but he's a guy that has to be a factor if they're going to have success because they are so young and he's actually one of the old men on this team. You know, he's 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 one of the 19-year-olds and they've got <laughs> essentially 17-year-olds. The their next best players are 17-year-olds. They have uh Simon Nemetz, Nemetz and Yuri Slopkovsky uh and Philip Meshar who are all draft eligible this year and all could be first-round draft picks this year. So that's how good the Slovakian team is going to be up front. But they're going to be so young that they need guys like Kromiak to kind of show the way. Um I wasn't as surprised that he slipped because I think there were a lot of questions about him in terms of, you know, where he should go in the draft is, you know, how, how much do we read into his, his uh, OHL numbers? Is he, you know, the product of line mates or things like that. But when you watch him play, you can see the flashes of the skill. You can see the flashes of the, the, the higher end ability and the offensive know-how, you know, he's kind of got this lanky frame. He can, you know, kind of moves the puck, you know, real, real well. And he's, there's not a ton of, you know, physical strength that he's going to rely on. He's got to rely more on his skill and, and, and players like that can be um, certainly very fun to watch, but it's also a bit of a concern. Like how is he going to be away from the puck? How is he going to be in puck battles and things of that nature? That's something that he's going to have to be very strong at as one of the older players on this young team. So I'm personally very excited to watch Slovakia as close as any team um, just because of, you know, for my interest for the NHL draft, but for also to see guys like Chromiak and say, where is he at now? Because, over the last year at the last world juniors, you know, he was, uh, uh, he scored one goal. It was kind of a bit of a minor player on the team this time. He's got to be one of the guys. And I think that's a great situation. If you're the Kings to get him in for his development to say, okay, 
let's let's see where you're at in this type of role, which is not going to be easy for him to play. Because of the increased attention to prospects and the, you know, I, that's it, I guess, the increased attention. <laughs> I feel like maybe 20 years ago, if a guy in juniors played on a line with someone like Sidney Crosby, for example, right. um, you know, their numbers were inflated and there weren't as many scouts. There weren't as many amateur scouts. There wasn't conversation about it. Maybe you'd have a guy, uh, I'm blanking on his name. I want to say Danny Rusan, um, who I think was taken second in, in the second round, um, I think by the Kings. Um, and I think, <laughs> I think almost exclusively on the strength of his junior career. Uh, the reason I bring it all up is because Chromiak plays alongside um, Shane Wright, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So how much weight is that fact given when evaluating somebody like him? And, and how much can a WJC showing provide, you know, evidence of his strength of play away from someone like Shane Wright? Yeah, I think any opportunity you get a chance to see a player outside of their environment and see how they react to that is a good thing because that's how the NHL is. You're not going to play on the same line all the time. You're going to move around the lineup. You're going to have to find a way. Um, And whether you're, you know, there are going to be times where you are not the driver of your line and you have to be a bit of a passenger. And there are going to be times where you have to be the driver. So I think in this instance, he's going to have to be a driver. And and, and now he has to prove that. Um, Will that if, if he doesn't have a good world juniors, does that mean he can't drive a line? I mean, no, that's not, we're not going to say that anybody can have a bad week. Um, but what I think we will say is, okay, well, um, X amount of points, you know, coming, you, you can look at different things. We have a lot more tools at our disposal now where we're looking, okay, how many, how many goals, how many of his points are actually tied to, to plays that involve Shane Wright and things like that. And how many, how many minutes is he actually playing with Shane Wright? You know, you can start and look at those things. Now we have a lot better video technology too to, to, to track that. So I think that we're, we're, we're gaining a better understanding, but there's also something to be said for being able to play with elite players. And, you know, you think back to uh, our Temi Panarin's rookie year, and we were trying to think about, you know, was Patrick Kane carrying our Temi Panarin to a Calder, <laughs> a Calder trophy. Right. And then you look back and you're like, was our Temi parent Panarin propping up Patrick Kane's heart trophy candidacy? Right. Like, I mean, there's a lot of different, th- you just kind of wonder how that all works. And so you really do have to watch those games and be specific to how, you know, looking at the numbers, you know, how, how much are they really tied to, to Shane Wright? How many primary points is Martin Kromiak putting up and how many of them are being either finished by himself or Shane Wright and those things. But the thing is, you know, it's still hard to score goals. He's been scoring goals pretty regularly this year, you know, 13 goals in 23 games. Um, you know, that you, you wonder, you know, in terms of like secondary assists and all those things that can kind of inflate your points that you, you look at that too. But again, that's why you have to watch it and see. And I, you know, I, I haven't seen anything, you know, in the years that I've watched Martin Kromiak that suggests that he can't be good on his own and good as an individual skill player. I mean, he, he had 19 points in 32 games in, in a pro league last season at 18 years old. So, um, you know, that's not common for, for, for young guys in that league. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to look forward to, uh, with him and, and, and I'm certainly, he's one of the players that I'm most intrigued to watch in this tournament. Well, let's move to another defenseman, another right shot defenseman. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's a player that Kings fans actually have an opportunity to watch on a regular basis. Um, the Chromiak, Kirsan, Kirsanov and Faber, I don't know. I suppose some Kings fans may go out of their way to to watch the games that these guys are playing, but um, but Helge Granz is playing in Ontario, 
and I've actually got a chance to watch quite a few games of his in person this year. Um, he's playing for Team Sweden. I'm curious if you've seen any Ontario games, what you think of his progression, and what does Team Sweden look like this year? Yeah, so I haven't really honed in on, on Granz as much this year, um, just as I've been going or doing all of my my AHL work. But I I did have I have had a chance to see him in other settings. And I think that in terms of his progression, he is really, you know, starting to blossom in terms of being a, a true two-way defenseman, being somebody that can make plays at both ends of the ice, um, that that has the ability to 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 keep up at the pro pace and and to push pace as well. Um, I think he still has a ways to go in terms of his overall, you know, understanding of how to play the game in North America, certainly in in the you know the the forechecking and things like that, absor- how to absorb a forecheck how to uh, you know get out of zones and, and, and make plays. The thing about this tournament that is going to be so great for him is that now he's going to be among his peers. It's going to be an opportunity for him to play the game more at a pace that he's comfortable with, even though that I would say that the, the world junior pace can be faster than the AHL pace at times. I think it's the best pace outside of the NHL um, you know, in terms of you know pure, pure, pure speed of the game. Um, but it looks like at this point that that uh, Granz is going to play with Simon Simone Evanson, who is you know a top ten pick in last year's draft. That will be Sweden's top pairing. There is a fairly significant drop off to the next pairing. So you are like basically you're going to have a lot of Helgi Granz, a lot of Edvinson out there, in in a lot of key situations, and that is great for him because he is going to get tested. He is going to have to prove that he can defend at a high enough level against the very best that every team is going to throw at them. Uh, They're in the same bracket as Russia and the U.S. It's going to be very difficult, I think, for Sweden to medal this year. I don't think they have the depth to do it. But at the same time, they have a really good goaltender in Jesper Wallstedt, and that can also make defensemen look pretty good, too. So, And if you if you have the goaltender. So he is a crucial player for Sweden in this tournament. And I think based on his pro experience and having been in North America, I think we're going to see a very strong performance from him in this tournament. He's a guy that, you know, we're fond of saying on this podcast that happiness is measured by expectation. And whether by luck or by design, I feel like expectations for Grands were were really heavily tempered. Um, there was a lot of talk about, well, you know, this guy used to be a forward. And, you know, used to be a forward means when he was 12, you know, for a guy, <laughs> for a guy who's 19. Um, and it was like, we're going to bring him over. Don't expect too much. It's going to be a slow, you know, progress, blah, 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 blah. And then because of COVID and injuries, he's been forced to play a much larger role, I think, than expected in Ontario. And I think he's done a really good job. I mean, he's he's impressed the heck out of me. And that has everything to do with, like I said, I think were tempered expectations. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at him in the in the SHL last year versus the AHL this year and. You know, in terms of point production, he's way ahead of where he was at this point last season. And so yeah. this the and the North American game, sometimes players will come over here and it'll it, they're like, wow, this actually suits me way better. I think for a player like him playing on the smaller ice surface at his size um, and not having to, you know, def- to go as far to defend somebody, you know, as you do on the bigger ice surfaces at times. I think that plays very well into his strengths and. Um, you know, he's just so decisive. Like, I think that's really, he's poised, he's decisive. He knows what he's doing. Um, and, and that can go so far for a player because it's hard to get to that, 
could to get to that point, especially when you don't have the timing down. So I think that's the other thing that he's shown. You know, he he can play the North American style game as well as anybody. And you know, the the interesting thing about this particular international tournament is, despite all of the success that Granz has had a, a, as a young player, this is his first IIHF event. So this is a this is a, a going to be something new for him. Um, compared to what he's done before, because he, he's played in the World Under 17 Challenge, but you know he didn't play in the World Juniors last year, hasn't played in an under under 18 World Championship. Um, and I will say I'm very surprised at how easily he's managed the transition, um, and, and certainly you know how I think it's going to be really key for me to see where he's at in his progression, to see how he handles being a top defenseman for a team that really is obviously always feels like they could win a gold medal. Um, even if they may not have the horses to do it this year around. Now we're going to finish this up by talking about Finland and I saved Finland for last because there's two players rather than one. Um, but also because I am most curious, I think about Samuel Hellenius. Um, I don't know, obviously I don't know anything about him. I don't watch the Finnish leagues. I don't follow prospects, certainly not Finnish prospects. Um, but when he was drafted, uh, everything we heard was this guy is going to top out at a big, mean third line defensive player. You know, he's nasty, he's big, he, he's great at defense. And so to see him included on a WJC roster piqued my curiosity. I, I think of the WJCs as an offensive showcase. Um, so what is his game? What has his progression been? And what role will he play on Team Finland? Well, I think he's too skilled to just be uh, a shutdown center, you know, so I think that's one thing he's he he does have offensive capabilities. He was at the World Juniors last year. I think that's really where people started buying into him as more than just a big body. Mm -hmm. Um, I think his speed has improved. I I really at the World Junior Summer Showcase, I thought he was one of the standout forwards for for Finland at both ends of the ice. Brilliant faceoff man. Very good at the dot. He's got, you know, especially in his own age group. He, he's he and and yes, he he has that physicality. He has that nasty streak. He has that defensive capability. He's six foot six. It's impossible to get around him. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's just it's and 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 to see him continue to progress because I had my skepticisms about him last year. But when you see a six foot six center, then you're saying, wow, this guy is he's he's huge. He's good on draws. And then you start seeing, especially last year at the World Juniors, he played more of a skill game. I think that, you know, he he was more of an offensive threat there. Um, and now he's just grown into his game even more. So I I foresee him being, you know, potentially in the top six for this team, especially with Atu Ratu um, not able to go to the tournament, caught up in COVID protocols back in Finland. Really unfortunate for them because it hurts their center depth. But, you know, now that that pushes a, a guy like Hellenius into a much more prominent role, um, his his production this year is a little bit below or behind where it was last season. We had 14 points in 54 games in, the, in Liga. But I mean, this is also a 19 year old player who is a wears a letter for his pro team. You know, I mean, this is a very special individual who I think is only scratching the surface of where he can go the upside there based on what I've seen over the last year plus leads me to believe that yeah he probably will end up being a bottom six guy who is going to be physical grind it out on the boards but then when he gets into the open space he can provide some scoring depth for you and i think that's really what sweet or finland is going to need him to do uh because they they don't have the depth that they've had in years past so that brings us to casper seaman um who is not six foot six 
<laughs> um, opposite end of the spectrum yeah, yeah. yeah. uh but maybe has a, a better scoring touch so uh, what are we looking to expect from casper siemens idol i i think the jump that he plays with the fact that he can be you know pretty quick and and and, and deceptive is going to really help him I, I i love the way that he plays i think he's got some real good um tenacity to him he's not afraid to get in there um you know he he did play at the tournament last year as well uh, had seven points in seven games for, for a Finnish team that, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people had a, a real high, high hopes for last year. And, you know, he managed to do that so well. Um, and, and so when you have a guy that plays with his jump and with his skill, you know, you definitely are expecting points. I think he's going to play a pretty significant role, uh, for Finland and, and they need guys like him to really step up because if they don't they're you know, you wonder where does that scoring come from? They, they do have a few good scoring threats on this team, but, you know, they left off a few guys that that certainly were in the mix to 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 be part of this team, but but he's one of the veteran guys and that you can kind of lean on. So yeah, he's not the biggest guy, certainly not as big as Samuel Hellenius. Nobody really is, but uh, you know, but really I think for him, if you enjoy watching fast-paced hockey, Seaman Tybel is is the kind of guy that's really going to uh pique your interest for sure. It's it's so funny. We have these conversations and we talk about this guy's the veteran guy and the older player. And, you know, we're talking about 19 year olds. I know. And it's it's amazing how much it matters, too. Like, oh. That's the thing is that that's the thing that the difference between a 19 year old player and an 18 year old player is far bigger than you would ever expect. And that's that's why a lot of teams do build heavy on 19 year olds. And that's why I think Hockey Canada in particular was like, hey, let's we've got some of the best 19 year olds. Let's go heavy on that. And it's not always because they played in the World Juniors. It's just because they have a little bit, that little extra year of experience, especially at a high level of hockey. It's amazing how much of a difference that makes. So I'm really excited to see uh, what they're going to do a- as a group. Um, uh, you know, all, all these players and 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 especially those 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 older guys. But then, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we've got several guys that aren't draft eligible until 2023 and you know, double underagers and all kinds of stuff. So I, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for this tournament. I think we're gonna get, uh, get a good sample of, of, of what the future of hockey for sure. When I was 19, I, I didn't know anything about anything and I was on no path. No, I wasn't good at anything. I didn't know anything. And yet I was still infinitely more confident than I was when I was 18 or 17. Um, I can't even imagine yeah. what it must be like for some of these guys who have been drafted um, and so like, for example, Helgi Granz, who's even, you know, begun his professional career and, you know, is a step away from playing in the NHL. Um, it must yeah. be just so we've pretty, talked about pretty amazing. Yeah, we talked about King's prospects, but now let's talk about the tournament on the whole. We're going to ask you to put on your prognostication hat. Um, who medals, who wins and who are you most excited to watch? Oh man, there's a lot of guys I'm really excited to watch for sure. Um, in terms of, you know, who I, I think that Canada's the favorite. I mean, really, we have to say that every year because sure. it's true. On on paper, they're always going to be the favorite. They have the deepest roster. They're going to have the most first round draft picks. This year they've also got, you know, Shade Wright and Connor Bedard, the, who could be the number one pick in the next two drafts. And they have the most recent number one pick in Owen Power. So it's very rare that you'll see a number one draft pick playing in this tournament after they've been drafted because they're usually in the NHL. I think the last time it happened was uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins with Canada um, uh, in the lockout year. And he was playing essentially, you know, because there was no NHL to play in. So um, it's really amazing um, 
to to see this Canadian team on paper. I think they've got great goaltending. They've got dynamic skill. So I I would say that Canada is the favorite for gold. I do think that the U.S. has a really good opportunity to to knock them off just because I think the U.S. has the best blue line uh, one through eight. You know, all the guys that they have on their roster, I think that they are very, very solid on the blue line. Um, you know, that's led by Jake Sanderson, Brock Faber, of course, and, and, you know, Luke Hughes, so that you've got some multiple high end draft picks. Um, so I, I certainly think that the U S is going to end up with a medal. I don't know which color yet. Um, well, I still haven't made my official predictions yet, so I'll have to dig in a little bit more, but I also think Russia is a very real threat. Um, I think they have the experience, they have the skill. And that leads me to, you know, the players that I'm most excited to watch. It's actually the youngest guys in the tournament. It's Matt Mitchkov, who I, I did have a chance to see live. Um, he's, he's 2023 draft eligible. Uh, he actually is under KHL contract for three years after his draft year. So you're, 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 you'd be waiting for him for a while, but he is one of the greatest young goal scorers I've ever had the chance to see. Um, I've never seen a player who basically just hops over the board, says, I'm going to score and scores. Um, it just doesn't happen that, that regularly. Uh, he's not a fire it like Alex Ovechkin kind of guy. He's a much more cerebral goal scorer. Um, but then you also, that brings me to Connor Bedard, who, who is probably Mitchkov's biggest competition for number one. Um, and maybe the favorite for number one, he's another guy who just scores goals at will has great skill. I think he's got some explosiveness to him. Um, and then he can shoot from anywhere and score um, just, just a dynamic, dynamic talent. Um, and, and I'll be focused on a lot of the draft eligible players. And I think if you, if you are curious about who's going to be available in the top 15 of the draft, you might not have to go much further than this, this tournament, because there are so many players that, you know, the Czech Republic has David Juracek, who might be the best defenseman in there. I mentioned uh, earlier, saw Simon uh, Nemitz, who very well could be, um, you know, if he's not the best defenseman, number two behind Juracek, it's, you know, so the, those are the types of players that you have here. And, and then even the U S has Logan Cooley, who's uh, an electric skater, probably going to be their number two center draft eligible this year. He's averaging about a point and a half per game at the national team development program. So, I mean, and that's just, those are just guys that are either draft eligible now or the following year. That doesn't even mention all of the, the great prospects that we'll see like Cole Perfetti and, um, you know, uh, 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 Maddie Beneers and all these other players that, that are so solid um, and will give us very entertaining hockey, especially, you know, we don't know when the NHL will be back officially. Certainly hope that the pause is not very long, but if it goes on for a while, um, as of right now, no, no concerns about the World Junior Championship happening since all the teams are already in the bubble. So final question, uh, if, you know, imagine a Kings fan, who's got holiday family obligations and they can't watch five games a day or however many games there will be going on during this tournament. If they can choose one team to follow um, from a Kings perspective is Faber and team USA, the easy choice, or is it Finland because there's two players? Is it, you know, who, who's the Kings prospect to watch in this tournament? Yeah. You know, I think the Kings prospect to watch is Faber. I mean, I think just because of all the players they have, he's going to probably play the most prominent role on his team. Um, he's most central to their metal hopes. Um, you know, Kursanov is, is, is very important as well, but I just think that with the way that the coaching staff talks about Brock Faber, you know, he's a guy that they need to play well. They, they, they there's no, he can't just be decent. He's got to be really good. And in his history in this tournament suggests he's going to be really good. Um, you know, and you start to wonder, Two. Now we know the NHL is not going to the Olympics. 
is Brock Faber in the mix? Like, like that's a legit thing that oh, you have to think about because to go to the Olympics, um, you mean? Yeah. Like I would say that of the defensemen available to team USA, I would say at least four of the best defensemen in the player pool are college players, Jake Sanderson, Brock Faber, um, uh, Ronnie Adderd at Western Michigan and maybe Ryan Johnson, uh, who, you know, Kings fans would know from from the area, mm-hmm. uh, but but as a Buffalo Sabres prospect, like I think those are the guys that you probably are saying, hey, they have a chance to be a, on the Olympic team. I'm not saying that they'll go because we don't know if the college players are going to agree to go for the for the same reasons that NHL players didn't necessarily want to go, um, or that the NHL had to shut down. Where it's like, hey, I, I don't want to miss my season. I don't want to have to deal with quarantine. I want to have to do all that stuff. But that's just something to think about as well as you're watching a lot of these teams just understand that some of the players in this tournament very well could be playing in the Olympics as, you know, the replacements for the, for the NHL players as well. Yeah. And to anybody that didn't catch that, Ryan Johnson is uh, Craig Johnson's son, Craig Johnson, former LA right. King and current coach of the Ontario Reign. Chris, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it as always. Yeah. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's really fun to do it. I'm, it's always great to be with you, Jesse. And as we said at the top of the episode, you should all go out and uh, check out everything that Chris does, whether it's his Substack, whether it's his work um, on blank on Daily Faceoff. Sorry, <laughs> blanked on the name of the website. <laughs> all good. Um, but anyway, do go check it out. And Chris, we will talk to you uh, probably as the tournament wraps up. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Happy holidays. Enjoy the tournament. And uh, good luck at your sister's wedding, too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.